You don't really think you'll win, do you? Things change. Welcome, everybody, to Back in My Day podcast, where the not-so-stereotypical millennials uh, go through and look at things that we enjoyed from our past. Uh, Dave's not here today, so it's me, Michael R. Power, your host. Um, I'm joined by... Ian Walter. And today we have two special guests from the Nerds of the Old Republic podcast. Um, so introduce yourselves, gentlemen. Sure. Hi, I'm uh, Adam from Nerds of the Old Republic. And I am Sean from the Nerds of the Old Republic. Welcome, lads. Thanks Thank you so us. much for having us. Thank you so much. It's a, a pleasure to get to see you and to talk uh, some Batman with you tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, so today on the uh, podcast, we are going to review Batman Returns, 1992, uh, Tim Burton Batman Returns. We have been reviewing all the Batman movies since uh, we did our The Batman Review. So go back, check that out. And we've done uh, 1989, Tim Burton Batman. And now we're going to jump into uh, Batman Returns, the sequel which we teased to last time. Some of us like it better. Some of us don't like it better. But before we, uh, before I give my thoughts, why don't we let our guests, and before we go through the, the plot, I'd like like to do, uh, why don't we just get, you know, high level thoughts? Um, you know, what, did you guys rewatch it? Do you have fond memories of it from when, when you were a kid? What's your experience with the Batman Returns movie? Well, I won't out myself as being much younger than some of my co-hosts on Nerds of the Old Republic, but uh, when Batman Returns came out, I just like nerded out hard. I remember having the Batmobile. I remember having the Batwing, like all the Keaton toys at my house. So this was a rewatch for me. And um, without giving too much away uh, and ending the conversation in like 30 seconds, it definitely was kind of like a don't meet your heroes moment for me (laughs) at some parts. I really enjoyed a lot, but I found myself as an adult paying much more attention to the language. So I got lots of thoughts on like dialogue and that sort of thing. But uh, I'll toss it to Sean before I, I start becoming a curmudgeon on that. Yeah. Very similar, I guess, experience when I was growing up, the uh, Tim Burton original Batman that you guys just did was transformative. Like before that, it was the Chris, uh, was it Christopher Reeves Superman was kind of like the pinnacle of superhero movies, and you know that's right. They were garbage, <laughs> except for the the first and the <laughs> second one. They were okay, but um, I, I I watched Superman four on repeat all the time. My dad got me a bootleg of the tape, so that was like my superhero thing. Then Tim Burton comes out with this like revelatory moment with Batman, and I was so stoked for the sequel. I bought the the graphic novelization. Like I was like Adam, I was really into it. And I remember going to the theater and watching it and just really enjoying it and uh, owning the cassette afterwards, rewatching it. But same thing. I went back after decades of having not seen it and just having the memory and the like the mental image of what it was. And I watched it with my son, who is my age when I first watched it uh, then and watching his ridiculous reaction in mine. We both kind of looked at each other like, wow, (laughs) things have changed. Yeah, (laughs) definitely feels dated in a lot of ways, right? Absolutely. Um, but uh, I got to say, if, if I'm going to just give my overall thoughts, I still I think nostalgia keeps me coming back to these movies. Right. It's like uh, we remember the joy that we got from it originally. And I still get uh, that joy in, in doses like you get, you know, you get reality checks throughout the film when you watch it nowadays. But at the same time, you still kind of uh, you get the same vibes that you got in the 90s when you first uh, sort of fell in love with these films. I think. For, for me personally, the first one was a big, big, massive film. And then this one kind of come as a package deal in my mind. In a, in a lot of ways, those first four, like the Burton films and the Schumacher films, are kind of tied together, even though they don't really flow in any sense of continuity. But those first two definitely felt like, a you know, Batman Returns feels like a proper sequel. Um, giving Burton a little bit more freedom to do his Tim Burton thing, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but... Uh, 
Uh, I think I expressed in the in the previous episode my love for the original, but I still really had a good time with this one, and it's really fun to see how far we've come with superhero films, comic book movies, right? So it's interesting. Power, what do you think about Batman Returns? I know this was like your Batman film, right? Yeah, this is the one that when I was a kid it seemed to be on TV the most, and I, the one that I watched like on uh, you know whatever the movie network was, and um, yeah, so I have fond memories of it, but going back and rewatching it now, I've noticed that a lot of things probably went over my head and that I'm picking up on now. And it's, it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit, like you guys said, a bit cringy, I guess you'll say, but it, it was the early nineties. And um, the one thing I will maintain though, is that Tim Burton was not really interested in making Batman movies. To me, it seems <laughs> like he was much more interested in making movies about the villains. Again, like I watched, we watched the first one. 89 and it's like this is just a joker movie with batman sprinkled in and this one seems you know he seems much more interested again in uh the villains and the penguin and catwoman and and it's like yeah so that's what i feel about the movie i still like it i still have nostalgia for it and i think in uh my letterbox review i wrote i have nostalgia for it because i watched it as a kid before i or before i i should have watched it or when when it's not really made for kids right and so that you kind of have that nostalgia for it. It's kind of like, you know, it's more grittier and you want to grow up when you're a kid fast and you want to watch the movies, the adults are watching. And that's what kind of, that's probably what I kind of dug about it. But yeah, and I still, I still hold it, you know, in like in high regard, kind of high regard as like overall a good movie, uh, like well-directed, well-acted and everything like that for the nineties, like for the early nineties. Um, but yeah, some of the dialogue and stuff is kind of cringy. I'll agree. Uh, but I think the penguin was, was great. And the casting is amazing. And yes. Yeah. There's I lots mean, to love about it. I, uh, I think you're right though. Like a lot went over our heads. Cause I don't remember this movie. I watch it nowadays. Um, knowing that this is, does not feel like a kid's movie. Like it does not, it's not a kid's movie at all, but when I watched it, I was definitely a kid, so I don't remember it not being a kid's movie. You know what I mean? I just remember it being a Batman f- film. So obviously a lot a lot would have gone over my head when I first watched it. But watching it now, it's like, whoa, <laughs> it'd, it'd be a hard one to say. It'd be a tough sell for kids, I think, these days. So, um, yeah. So I don't know if you want to just start getting into the actual uh, body of the film here, but uh, it opens up. Like I said, not really a kid's film. We have uh, a newborn being born in, in Gotham in what feels like the 50s or whatever. And it's uh, Pee Wee Herman and his uh, wife, the Gotham's 1%. They have uh, you know, an unfortunate looking child that they're afraid to show off to the to society of Gotham. And they're really upset and torn over it and keeping the kid in a cage because he looks like a penguin. And <laughs> they end up dumping him off a bridge uh, on Christmas Day, it seems. So yeah, good good times. <laughs> it's definitely a Christmas film, right? Yeah. Yeah. I gotta say, like, I forgot how dark the opening is when you think about they're sitting there sipping a martini. While their kid's in a cage, the kid rips through a cat, and they're just like, "Martini, I'll finish this, then we'll go for a stroll in the in the buggy." So, oh, exchanging Merry Christmases and everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't forget that. I mean, courtesy. Yeah, it is a dark opening, and the and it's funny when they drop him off in the basket, and he goes down. I got into this uh, the like ends up in the zoo or whatever. I got into this whole like thing with my wife, like penguins couldn't raise a baby you know what i mean and she's like well it's happened before in, in yeah like, straight uh, out of the jungle book right it's tarzan and i was just like yeah, mowgli going gorilla- up with the wolves <laughs> i believe a gorilla or a wolf could raise a baby better than a penguin but anyway it's just not, not the most unrealistic thing that happens in the whole movie so you can definitely overlook it but uh yeah the, the beginning is yeah it's quite quite horrifying but it's actually i i think well well put together it really hews closely to tim burton's like ethos at that time yeah it has like it just felt like edward scissorhands or like the other kind of pinnacle tim burton stuff which i thought was i didn't notice when i was a kid but noticing it now was really really interesting to see his his auteur kind of coming out in that yeah it's a good point and then we snap 33 years later uh where we get sort of max shrek he's proposing to build his power plant supply gotham with energy um and, and he's opposed by the mayor. So that's that's kind of like how we start planting the seeds of like what Max is trying to do to overthrow the mayor and try and get a new mayor in power. 
Um, so Shrek, you know, he's giving that speech in Gotham Square. And uh, that's where the first opening action sequence pops off, where it's basically like the circus come to life in the streets of Gotham, um, where they they become under attack when they see that big, it's like that big gift that shows up, right? And uh, Shrek is like, well, hey, what do you got here? And he's like, no, this wasn't me. The mayor says, no, was this you? This isn't me. And they don't know what's going on. And then they, and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Uh, what do you guys think of the opening action sequence? I definitely forgot about the acrobatics. There was so many back handsprings or whatever they're called, but <laughs> it, it definitely brought the comic book nature home to me um, because it started so gritty. It needed, it felt like for me, it needed something over the top to remind me that we were back into like the DC world of uh, superheroes. I, it was interesting because I'd forgotten about the bat signal 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 thing that he had going. And then the um, was it was that's the one with the battering that he programs to take out four guys at once. And that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It was interesting because now looking at it with hindsight, I start to see like how Joel Schumacher really kind of came on and, and really emphasized the camp that was already kind of there when Burton started really making it and or putting it in that direction with this film. But I mean, compared to a Marvel movie or something modern, it, it's you know it's kind of it's kind of a weak action yeah, scene, but it's still fun to look at. It's definitely got like a lot of uh, a lot going on in it, which is it's interesting when he puts the bomb on the guy and all those like just cool little moments that only Michael Keaton can really pull off as Batman. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, rewatching it, it's so much campier than I remember. Like I remember it being like, oh, it's a dark, gritty Batman, nothing like the Schumacher Batman movies. But then when you rewatch it. You're like, actually, this is kind of closer to Batman 66, the Adam West Batman that I remember. Like, there's these ridiculous, like, circus sidekicks. It's, like, not really explained at all. You just have to accept it that the Penguin has, like, an entire uh, criminal circus gang with him, right down to the guy the guy with the monkey who's playing the yeah. music box and, and, you know, all the acrobats and stuff like that. And, like, that's so, that's such campy Batman that I kind of love it, like, the bad guy kind of needs his like thugs, you know what I mean? For Batman to beat up and the more colorful and crazy and out there, like the better for, for the campy versions at least. So yeah, that I actually, yeah, I like the whole setup. I like Christopher Walken. That's a classic role for him as Max Shrek. Yep. And yeah. So Ian, what did you, what do you think about that? And you get the, yeah, like they, too, right? yeah, exactly. They set up the antagonist in Shrek. And then of course the, the presence of the penguin as a villain in Gotham. They also, uh, introduced Selena Kyle as a character, which we're about to see her story unfold, which is a big part of this film as well. Uh, so, you know, you got this idea that, um, you know, it's very, I feel like the dynamic between Selena Kyle and Max Shrek is like that typical, like, you know, uh, cut and dry toxic masculinity. Like there's, there's no real like nuance to it. It's just like, yeah, no, speak when you're spoken to, like, we don't want to hear your ideas. And then of course she forgets his speech and she, and he's like, okay, we're going to have to make her pay for that one. Um, and then Max Shrek's son, I uh, can't remember the actor's name, but he's really uh, playing it up here. Trying to be Christopher Walken's kid in Batman returns. It's, it's an interesting accent he's got going for him. Um, and then the action pops off. I do enjoy that. I like how, um, you know, Michael Keaton is you know, he's the established uh, vigilante superhero for, for Gotham at this point. He's just, he's running his, he knows how to run his business. But there's a lot of, a lot going on here. We got, it, it makes sense that the circus, um, you know, would, would fit in with someone like the Penguin who's currently dwelling in the sewers. He's kind of like, this is like a group of misfits, you know, that, that only would find each other because the rest of society has kind of cast them out. So it kind of makes sense in that regard. And then uh, I like where this goes like sort of takes a turn where um, it it heads back to Max Shrek's office where he confronts Selena Kyle and realizes Selena Kyle has been like, you know, doing a little digging where she maybe shouldn't have. And she uh, uncovers the fact that his plan is not just to set up a new power plant to give more power to Gotham. It's actually set up, set in place so that they could drain power from Gotham for their own uh, nefarious purposes. So I thought that was interesting. And then of course it leads up to the whole origin of the Catwoman, which I personally loved. I, 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 as campy as it is, as like, you know, when you compare a supernatural sort of style of Selena Kyle's Catwoman in Batman returns to something more modern, like in the Batman where it's very grounded and rooted in reality, it seems um, I do. 
I think I, I, there's something I like about Mich- Michelle Pfeiffer's portrayal of the character. But um, what did you guys think of uh, sort of the setup of the Catwoman and the fact that I, I, I also like the parallels where Max Shrek shoves her out the window and it's kind of like she's falling to her death like the way Joker did in the first in the original. And, and then she somehow survives because she's got, you know, these stray cats coming to her rescue and creating a, a supervillain that's got nine lives, apparently. So it's, it was a really uh, interesting choice. Yeah, I I think that this is the best Catwoman on film to the, to this point. She's fantastic. I agree. I it agree. Just Michelle Pfeiffer does such an awesome job of getting an odd Selena Kyle. It's just a weird take on that character, but the development they put into her character is the most I think anybody gets in this film, and it's really well utilized there. And just her turn as Catwoman is just iconic. It's great. I I think she's really the high water mark for the whole movie. Yeah, right down to the costume, the way she portrays her, the turn when she like trashes her apartment, like everything is so iconic. And, and the, but so, I know uh, Adam or was it Adam was saying he had problems with some of the dialogue. I'm wondering if any of that has come up yet in this sort of first third of the movie, or if it was mostly later. No, it's mostly later for me. Uh, mostly uh, Penguin talking to Max when they're about to set him up as the mayor. So I'll leave that for a little bit later. Um, I thought the bat or I thought the um, the Catwoman scenes felt the most like comic book panels to me. You know, as she's falling through those awnings, I can see panel, panel, panel down the side of a page uh, when she wakes up or when she's being licked by the cats and, and waking up um, definitely like a full page spread on the opposite side of it and then smashing her um apartment even to the point where she smashes hello there to hell here yes i'm glad you mentioned that that was good so spot on and for all the gripes i'm gonna have because i'm a curmudgeon sometimes about you know retconning stuff looking back from today's vantage point like sean said they do so much in the first third of this film to build the characters and selena kyle just gets so much screen time that i really appreciate the the even the um that there's just scenes of like her character coming to life again after being reborn and falling so i had no problem with that actually except for apparently falling really hard on your head shows you karate uh and becoming an expert seamstress but you know that's well, you don't know what kind of life she, she has. Reflexes of a cat. Let's just put it that yeah. way. There you go. And all you get is one mark of blood on the front of your head. Somehow, like, that was like the only wound she had. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I wonder that. how many takes poor Michelle Pfeiffer had to do with a cat trying to get inside her mouth for that one scene after she hit the ground. You know, she's the only villain though in the whole movie with with a decent motivation. You look at like what Max Schreck's got going, and it's that's so paper thin. And then the same thing with the penguin. It's like the guy wants revenge on the firstborn sons of Gotham. Like fifty years later, it, it the whole thing is kind of weird. But hers actually works really well. Yeah, she she does always. The character in general always works for me as like a version of Batman, a vigilante that will go that like extra mile that Batman won't. You know what I mean? So she's not worried. Although I, I can't really say that about the Burton films now that I mentioned it because Batman doesn't seem to really care if he uh, if he kills people along the way in these films. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so I did neglect to mention, I think, Adam, you just reminded me that uh, they also cap uh, Penguin captures Max Shrek in, in the midst of all that action sequence and brings him down to the sewer. And that's where Max has to use his kind of like uh, cunning to figure out a way out, a way, way where he can make it out of this situation alive. So he works on uh, Oswald as like, uh, you know, Penguin as a propping him up to, to be the next mayor or a, a next big public figure in Gotham, like like really selling it as like a possibility. And he's got power as a businessman, so he can kind of make it happen for him. And, and that's and that's like music to Oswald's ears. Right. So so there's that aspect to it. I love the duality between um, the sequence of Selena Kyle coming to her apartment and like you know, you see the life she's living. She's like, honey, I'm home. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Not married. And then, of course, that she forgets something, goes back. The whole origin of Catwoman happens when she comes back to her apartment. You get the same sequence over and over again, but with the reborn Selena Kyle, who's now going to become this uh, villain Catwoman. So I liked a lot about that. And as cheesy as some of it may have been, 
it it kind of it clicks for me the way she kind of stitches her costume together and um she's she's aiming to go after max shrek like like you guys said shrek seems like a one note i can't really peg him because he seems to care about his son but that's about all he cares about everything else is like money and power right so he's he's a bit of a one note and then you know penguin he's he's got the the classic sort of uh villain opposite the hero where he's like you know he's the orphan that you know there's a lot of parallels to the new batman film where he's the orphan that didn't have the privileges that that bruce wayne had and we see what what becomes of him as a result so um you know this is where we kind of move into the midsection of the movie where we've got alliances forming between the the two main villains or the three villains i guess um it's a Oswald makes his presence known by rescuing the mayor's baby from a staged kidnapping attempt. There was that. Yes. And, uh, you know, requests to be allowed into the hall of records to find his parents. So that's about where we're at. What did you guys think of, uh, of sort of the sequence? I, I like, I always, I mentioned it in our, the Batman review, but I like whenever Batman stories have to do with like mayoral politics because, you know, Gotham city needs to be like a character uh, that in a Batman story and what better than to include like mayoral politics and some shady politicians, some shady stuff going on with mayor, the mayor and an election and a campaign, all that. So I do like how they, how they made it that penguin was running for mayor and sort of, he was sort of Max Shrek's kind of puppet mayor. And so I thought that worked well. I don't know about the team up of Batman or Catwoman and Penguin, but I guess we can get that later. But yeah, I did like the whole the whole Penguin running for mayor piece. That that was, I think, well done. I I, I like what you said about the Gotham City being like a character in itself because I think mm-hmm. that's one of the best strengths of Burton's films is just the visual aesthetic of Gotham City and how like just real and lived in, but still comic booky it looks. It just I don't know, more so even than like the the Bale movies and that recently where they use Chicago and stuff. It just felt more like a like a real kind of Batman come to life universe, which is really cool. But um, I think the DeVito's portrayal as, as Penguin is so grotesque and it's just mm-hmm. it's such an it interesting move. The character is not supposed to be this bizarre like creature thing, but like they made that choice. And I, I think it was an awesome choice because he's just he he eats every scene he's in he's just chewing it alive it's great and like me a terrible fate waits for them tonight while their parents party they'll be dreaming away in their safe cribs their soft beds and we will snatch them carry them into the sewer and toss them into a deep dark watery grave um penguin I mean, killing sleeping children, isn't that a little, uh... Literally chewing yeah. it a lot. Yeah. It's literally a lot of chewing. He does a lot of chewing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, to Burton's credit, you got Michelle Pfeiffer, you got Keaton, you've got DeVito. You, you got to get them acting, and they just take and walk in you know like you've got three big names and i forget about christopher walken in this <laughs> moment because i'm just thinking of that scene at the bottom of the spiral spiral staircase where um he bites the um image consultant's nose after you that's know, right oh you know not so much reflective light down where you are ha 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 at least my nose isn't gushing blood what boom no man's face and at that moment, like I was just shocked into remembering that this, as you said, Ian, that this was supposed to be a kid's or wasn't a kid's film, but I was allowed to see it as a kid. And then right after that line, you get um, Walken talking to DeVito about um, the Im- the female image consultant, you know, and there's that line, like, I'd like to fill her void. Yeah. And- yeah <laughs> right, this is where the dialogue just starts to really yeah. take a deep, deep yeah. dive, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is where like the 90s stayed in the 90s. But, um, you know, just that other that other line where um, uh, Shrek is trying to convince DeVito again. And, you know, he's going into that like um, uh, that daydream like, oh, what big flippers. And that's the biggest parasol I've ever seen. And we need you. We need you. And then um, 
uh, Walken just turns to him and says, "Unlimited poon tang," and that like, <laughs> I can't tell you the last. I, I almost heard. forgot about that line even after watching it again. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, my yeah. note just says "unlimited poon tang." Holy <laughs> crap! Because I didn't. It was in a film that I would have seen at that age. Yeah, and I don't remember it. That's the funny part. Whether I was watching not, with my wife. Yeah. I was just going to say whether or not they were trying to make a movie for kids, which I don't think they were. Yeah, they they no. definitely marketed it that way with like the Happy yeah, Meal toys it. and everything yeah. like that. And so it's oh, yeah. hilarious. Anyways, go ahead, I, Power. I was watching it with Wife Power, who we had on, my wife's, who we had on for the Batman 89 episode. And she was saying how this one was her favorite one growing up. And watching it, she just, at that those moments, she was like, I don't remember the penguin being so rapey. Like that was like what she said. Like, it's like, Oh, it's so much creepier. I don't know. Like, I don't even know if it's her favorite anymore. It's like, it's, it's, there's a lot of, of more sexism in this one. than I think probably any other Batman movie, but the scene of uh, penguin eating the fish oh. and biting off the guy's nose, those two scenes, those are like the scenes I remember. Those must have scarred yeah. me when I was like a five-year-old kid watching this movie. Cause those are the scenes I will never forget it. When I think about Batman returns, it's him eating that, that raw fish. And then, you know, biting that guy's nose off, like with raw fish still in his mouth, basically. Like it's so gross. Danny DeVito but, plays a great slime ball, right? He's yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. really good at what he does. I think um, that was the point, right? He's, he he knew the uh, he knew the. Um, that's right. He assignment. understood the assignment. Yeah, understood the um, assignment. Sean made a good point about how they drastically changed his look from the comic. Although I will point out, um, they still kind of kept the aesthetic in ways, and uh, when you yeah. see like the posters of the mayoral uh, campaign, it looks much more like the, the penguin from the pages of the comics. Right. So, so there was, they, they definitely kept the aesthetic enough where it felt more like a comic book movie than maybe some of the more modern takes even. Uh, I like that little wink though that like Burton makes to it when he says, reclaim your birthright. And he puts the the cigarette holder in his mouth and he just spits it out immediately. It's like, that's not oh, what yeah. I am. Right. <laughs> that's cool. Um, and then of course we're, we're not, completely forgetting about bruce wayne i mean they give him a little bit more to do i think in this film than in the first one uh i will say that you know we we look at the batman and say oh like it's great that they're returning to like the world's greatest detective they still had a through line of um bruce wayne being a detective in the other films it just wasn't as prevalent and there are sequences in the first film and in batman returns where he's doing some detective work he's doing some digging in this case he's drawing a connection between the penguin and the red triangle gang, the circus troop, because he's found out that this troop was shut down because children were going missing during their performances. So it's like, that's definitely sort of a through line that kind of leads us uh, towards the penguins, great plot of sort of capturing the, the firstborn children yeah. of, of Gotham. But, uh, before you go on, you know, I think it's telling that, you know, we were already in, you know, halfway through the second act and we've barely mentioned Batman. I think it's telling that to what I said at the top, like that, Burton was much more interested in telling stories about the villains. That's that's just that's just I think his sensibility as a director. You know what I mean? I think when they chose him, uh, that's kind of the path that these movies went down, for better or for worse. But yeah, I think it is telling. I think Batman is sort of pushed to the side in his own movies, which is, um, you know, why I think the new ones are better basically than the, than these older ones. Well, what, well, I, what I will one say, the what they did find for Bruce Wayne to do, I find more interesting in this film than in the first one, where it's not just sort of like a typical love interest story, no damsel in distress here. This is like a budding romance between Batman and Catwoman, which I thought was pretty interesting. I like the chemistry between Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Keaton. But in this case, uh, he shows up to Shrek's office for a meeting. And of course, uh, he's immediately taken by Selena Kyle and her newfound like attitude and lease on life. So he's, and I think he's sort of attracted to a darkness, right? That makes sense for Bruce Wayne. So he kind of like um, forms a connection there. And uh, yeah, so then there's the whole meeting there and uh, Shrek is pushing for Oswald to run for mayor. Um, the Red Triangle gang end up wreaking havoc again. So we're kind of in the middle of the movie here where they do go on a date, right? And Bruce Wayne and uh, Selena Kyle are both back at the mansion, but they both want to get out of there as fast as possible because they find out that the penguins popping off in Gotham city. So what do you guys think of like the whole budding romance of it all? And then like heading into the action sequence, you know, I thought this was probably some of the better parts for Keaton. You know, um, I think we're spoiled now with the Marvel films and the action being so great that you're right. Like he's got to do something besides fight 
necessarily in order to support the development of the, the villains. And so uh, that scene with him and Michelle Pfeiffer back in the mansion, I thought did a lot of work actually um, in terms of the tension between them. You know, it started off with that, that rooftop fight and being hung by the, the whip and it just kind of continues through the scene. Whereas it is dramatic irony because as the audience, we know what the characters don't know that they're looking at the same person again. So I was cool with it. And I really love the Tim Burton um, mansion. I think that's a character in itself for Bruce Wayne. Uh, it feels over the top. It's huge in many, many ways. So um, I just love the scenery in that scene too, for what it's worth, even though Michelle Pfeiffer and Keaton are there who I should be looking at. I think it's interesting how he, he gets into um, like uh, the relationship between the alter egos too. Like it's Bruce's attraction to Kyle or Selena. And then that, awkwardness that again i think um uh, uh gosh i'm forgetting his name now michael keaton i was going to say like beetlejuice or gung-ho or whatever he's known for like, he he was never Mr. supposed Mom. to be a good bruce wayne but he i think he's one of the more successful bruce waynes out of all of them but he uh yeah. he just pulls off that weird kind of elaborate neurotic kind of feel and then when he's batman and she's catwoman it's a completely different but still, you can see like that same tension. It's really uh, an interesting way to kind of layer it, which I thought was really, uh, really thoughtful and well done. Um, is this also the one where they tried to convert the Batmobile? Are we getting into that part? Yeah, well, we're, we're just, just outside of there, but we're definitely going to have words about the whole yeah, I'll, operation I'll, I'll, to overhaul the Batmobile. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll pause for that. Uh, well, I, I think um, I lightly skipped over the, their first encounter, right? Which is where... Um, she kind of jabs him with the, one of her claws and like, you know, it goes through the side. And then that's when, when they are on the date, they're kind of like trying to hide each other, like hide their scars from each other. Um, because I, I kind of like that. Like they're, they're both playing at being, because we, we always say like Bruce Wayne is the mask, not Batman. Right. So they're kind of playing at being uh, normal people that like to go on dates when really they're like anxious to get back on the streets and, and continue their vigilanteism so um so there's that and then of course losing that fight drew uh catwoman to the penguin to try and form an alliance against batman and then um when the penguin starts to attack the city of course bruce it's funny he's just like i'll be right back and then just takes off like there's not even a, a hesitation nothing it's just like all right i'm out of here alfred figure something out and then uh selena kyle is like uh, making alfred's job easy because she wants to get out of there as well it tells him to write a sonnet or like a dirty limerick or something. I'm like, really? Like that's that's where he went with that. Like the dialogue sometimes surprises me with these little lines and like, you know, like I, I'm sure we'll get into some of the lines. But Selena Kyle saying like, "Life's a bitch now, so am I." Like these are some some <laughs> yeah, real choice lines here in in there. And then of course when she's uh, trying to hook up with the penguin, she's trying to like kind of seduce him a little bit and she's like maybe i'll just give myself a bath right here and she starts licking her uh -huh. leather costume like there's some some interesting moments here um uh but then yeah like you said sean we're heading into the the that sort of big second act finale uh set piece where they're fighting in the streets of gotham and batman not doing too much saving right so what do you guys think of uh sort of the catwoman and penguin sort of teaming up against batman in this sequence and of course the dreaded Batmobile uh, hijacking or overhauling. Yeah, oh. I I wasn't sure really like why. I understand why Penguin wants to get rid of Batman. I think because he's a clear villain. But I didn't really understand why Catwoman wanted to team up with Penguin to get rid of Batman. I guess he foiled her that in that first fight. But it seemed like she was mostly doing good, like saving women in alleys and stuff like that. So. I, that rewatch did blow up a department store. <laughs> I guess again, so, yeah. Batman I guess blew up a chemical plant, so they're not yeah, that far I, off. <laughs> yeah, I know what you exactly. That's what I'm saying. But I guess it, it services the plot and it gets the villains together, which is a classic comic book thing. The villains have to team up to fight the hero, and you know, it, make, it makes you know makes sense that they put that in there. Uh, the action scene, I think, like Adam was saying, all the action scenes are kind of when you compare them to today's standards, they're kind of meh. But for the early '90s. It was kind of cool thinking back, just seeing Batman using gadgets, punching bad guys in the face. You know, you got to put yourself back in your, in in back in time into your own shoes when you were a kid and, and remember like how cool it actually was compared to now. But um, yeah, so Sean, what did you think of the whole? Because you you teased it. What did you think of the whole uh, Penguin Gang? You know, attached 
their whole plan to attach the remote control and the bomb to the to the Batmobile. It was interesting, you know. It's again, it's one of those like real thin kind of plot lines, but that kind of sets up the fun action sequence. I I had totally forgotten how much casual murder happens in this movie. Just. The amount, like, the woman getting thrown off the building and just, like, the henchman he blows up and, like, you know, Batman's not supposed to kill people. That's one of his main, like, core ethos, but, um, you know, it's fun to watch. We didn't care about that in the 90s. We didn't care about that as much. We've established established Tim Burton doesn't care about Batman. Yeah, (laughs) it doesn't seem that way. But uh, I I, I just love that scene of uh, the Penguin, like, in that little tiny Batmobile, like, toy. As he's controlling the Batmobile, that's like some of the best dialogue. As corny as it is, it's just hilarious watching him romp all over that thing. And I'm and pretty then, sure that inspired the Happy Meal toys. I'm not gonna lie, it had to. And, and just when he um he he regains control or whatever, and he's looking at his face like what what, and he's pissed, and the whole thing is shaking outside, and everyone's looking at it. And then uh, the weirdest thing ever. The Batmobile splits into three pieces, and it's this weird little bat pod thing that he gets away. <laughs> it's such a bizarre, like Batman escape. Feels like a very '90s thing, right? Like it's a, it's that thing where like a gadget is super specific to one situation that happens, and it just so happens to be that he's heading towards a really narrow alleyway. <laughs> so right. he has to somehow break apart into three pieces. It's very much 66 Batman with the shark repellent. Like he has the perfect thing for the situation that's super unrealistic. Exactly. Uh, but it, it's funny. It's really fun to watch though. Yeah. I was going to say, or even earlier in the movie, it's teased how specific the Batmobile is when that first um, big present comes out and he presses the button and that let foot comes down, lifts up, spins around <laughs> slowly, very slowly. And then torches the um, acrobat behind him, which also kind of ties into the whole Batman's not supposed to kill, but he definitely set a human on fire with some jet uh, fuel back there. So, Oh, there, there are plenty of murders that Batman commits in this film. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Which, you know, as a kid, I didn't care about. But maybe now as like someone who follows character arcs and that sort of thing, doesn't bother me because it's a fun romp, but it does stand out as something that I didn't realize um, until I rewatched it. A great point uh mike what did you think of all that action i know that like for me the uh the the fact that the woman falls from the building and batman just kind of stares at her falling down and then like two seconds later whips out his wings and glides down safely to the bottom and uh you know like <laughs> there's something about that that's like okay this guy really doesn't care about these people yeah. very much yeah it's ridiculous i think it just reinforces my my ideas that Tim Burton doesn't really understand much like Zack Snyder doesn't really understand the Batman character yes. and is more interested in telling, you know, his own story and mostly books on villains, but you know, it is what it is. I, I enjoyed it for the most part, though, the whole goofy scenes and the hijacking of Batmobile and all that. And of course, Oswald, uh, you know, breaks the partnership when, uh, when Catwoman doesn't accept his advances. That was <laughs> another ridiculous sexist scene where he's like you put out all the signals lady that you don't put out or something like that he just like i'm not teaming up with you and like kicks her down and like takes off it's like yeah he's he's super as my wife put it super rapey in this movie and it's it's kind of uncomfortable to watch now it hasn't aged well no it hasn't aged well at all i agree yeah so you know the the action leaves us with uh uh oswald uh you know returning to the sewer um, reveals his plans. He wants to kill all of Gotham's first ones. Like he's just really gone off the deep end now. And uh, and then there's the plan. I guess is to go to the ball, and that's uh, another scene where you know uh, Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle are reunited, but they're about to discover their alter egos, their secret identities, and uh, and they're you know. It's a nice moment. I think they they had that line where they said, um, you know, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. And then um, I think it was Catwoman who said, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. And then they kind of spin that because he had heard it. So then Bruce Wayne, uh, so then uh, actually she had heard it. So she repeats Bruce Wayne's line and then he finishes it. And so there's like that, the flip side. And then that's where kind of uh, Penguin really, it, we, we, we launch into sort of a third act uh action sequence right where 
Penguin has revealed his master plan. Uh, Catwoman and Batman have to decide whether or not they're going to work together. They were like, oh, sh- sh- does this mean we have to fight? Like, they, they can't really complete that love story arc because they've just re- revealed that they're on opposite sides or whatever. So um, there's a lot of interesting things going on with that ball sequence. And then, of course, uh, heading into the final action sequence of the film. Um, Adam, what would you think of uh, the way they set up this third act? You know, I love that ballroom action sequence, and I think it set up a lot of Batman stories down the line. Uh, I was talking earlier about how I've got young kids, and one of the first things that came to mind when I saw that ballroom scene was Lego Batman. And just, you know, yeah, the -the over-the-top nature, yeah, you're in a ballroom and everything, but it felt like there were so many Easter eggs that I just couldn't put my finger on between the two movies that uh, it was really... Uh, eye-opening to me rewatching it how much um, that was a template for further as you say like setting up the the final action sequence there yeah you know now that you mention it i'm thinking like didn't batman forever have like a, a dance sequence too with val kilmer and uh i can't remember who was it uh, i think you're right and it, it seems to be a thing like whether it's uh ben affleck dancing with um i think wonder woman or it's uh you know i think bale does it with uh anne hathaway's catwoman as well in the in the nolan trilogy it seems to be like a a recurring batman theme of like bruce wayne dancing with somebody at a at an event right how do we telegraph that this guy is like he's well healed and he's in rich society we'll put him in a ball in a yeah, every writer has the same idea like he's rich what do rich people do it's always a masquerade ball you know what i mean right. it's always a masquerade ball to you um, I think, Ian, the one thing we glossed over, which I think, you know, it's a, kind of important to the plot because it's the one kind of, it's the way Batman kind of foils the Penguin is he hijacks the, the speech, plays the recording. As as he's in that chase sequence, he's burning a CD at the same time, right? Yes. He's, he's got he's got the CD in the disc drive and he's, he's burning a recording of Oswald just like trash talking Gotham. Um, and, and the other point to that is like, I love how they make this, like they kind of make an attempt to to explain away what they're doing with the tampering with the Batmobile, but it doesn't really track. Like it doesn't make a whole lick of sense. Like they got the scene where the the circus misfits are like pulling out all the wiring in the Batmobile, but then at the end of the day, all it is is like this one wireless box that they put on the bottom, and somehow Batman's able to just like rip the floor out of the Batmobile just to get the get to the box so like there's a lot of sort of ridiculousness with that but like you said power it's it's all sort of to get to the point of when we get to the mayor like electoral campaign scene um where everyone's cheering for oswald cobblepot it's revealed that like batman has the recording of him talking trash about gotham and just like hacks the frequency with alfred's help and kind of just throws his recording over top and just like foils Penguin's plans of being like a public figure in Gotham. So mm-hmm. I guess that pushes Penguin to his point. That's of, what sets him off. Yeah, yeah. Of, of going to that drastic length of like, okay, well, we're just going to blow it all up and take the take the firstborns and, and murder them. It's <laughs> so, kind of ridiculous, right? Because it's like he, he spends all that time smearing Batman and they pretty successfully made everyone think Batman was this murderer and he was this horrible person. Then he just undoes it by like playing like scratch mixed cd or whatever and he's just re- it's like he's playing a cd like a record it was the weirdest dj thing. batman yeah <laughs> that's right how can you do that with a cd <laughs> again i guess you don't trust your audience to know better but it's um it's just this weird like unraveling that just happens so forced it's like oh all of a sudden nope we're gonna go genocidal and kill this generation of people <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it, it, the, the third act penguins play the third act is quite ridiculous and my favorite part is when he uses the penguin army. And I was like, yes. I was like talking to my wife. I was like, what's going to happen? Like a penguin just going to show up at every house. Like, you know, it's like a penguin show up at my house. It went after like my daughter. Like that's not very threatening. A penguin, right? That's so funny. I guess they have rockets attached to them, but yeah, that's where it got like full camp at yeah. that point. He's like saying stuff like the liberation of Gotham has begun. I'm like, yeah, but this was a half big plan that you whipped up in like (laughs) two seconds after you got scorned by. The penguins are moving above ground. Penguin army approaching launch destination at Gotham Plaza. One minute until ignition. They wouldn't put me on a pedestal! 
It's funny that that woman is just sitting in the tower like the penguin army has reached Gotham Square. Like she sounds like a robot, like an AI, but she's just like narrating the events of the penguin army. I love that. And there's this sequence where, so Batman, you know, he's got to repair his Batmobile. He doesn't have, you know, the Batmobile per se, but it's okay because everything's taking place in the sewers and he's got a bat boat or whatever you want to call it, the bat jet uh, that he can take down into the sewers. And there's that great moment where the penguins like he ends up uh, like they launch their rockets at him as he's going through and he does that like twirl move. And then you just see Bruce Wayne go like, Oh, that was a close call. He just kind of makes that reaction. Like, Oh, kind of got out of that one easy. (laughs) Like, it's just like, uh, there's a lot to love about the sort of the campiness of that action sequence. We've got um, Shrek, still even in the third act manipulating oswald to kind of let him be his captive as as opposed to his firstborn son chip so he goes down into the sewers with him and then uh batman of course is able to reverse the trajectory of the penguins and bring them back to the zoo where he can square off with uh with the penguin on the surface uh, but this is what i was talking about because adam you mentioned uh that he's just like ruthlessly killing people like there's that other scene where like the the big man comes and he's like you get that classic 90s action moment of you know you've seen this in indiana jones he hits the big guy the big guy make sure to do a quick like head jerk that to make you know that it did nothing and then uh he he sets a bomb off and throws him over the ledge and just lets him get blown to bits so it's just like okay six of tnt Tied with a, a alarm clock around it with three Straight wires. Straight out of Looney Tunes cartoon. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> but it kind of worked for me. Like, I suspend my disbelief that Batman just, like, without thought, killed a person without even hesitating his moral code, not in effect or whatever. But again, in the 90s, that was, that was less impactful. At least it happens off screen. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He turns around, he does the classic turnaround, boom, behind him, explosion. <laughs> You don't know what really happened. The guy could have got the bomb off at the last second and fell in some sort of water. And you know what I mean? There's some suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this though, Batman in pure Batman fashion, he made sure to save the orphans first, but I love the moment where he goes after the train and uh, stops it and everything. The monkey comes back to the penguin with a note. Are you telling me that Batman has like Batman stationery just so he could pull out these kind of gags? Like he has, he literally has a notepad with a Batman logo on it so he can write a note to the penguin. I thought that was hilarious. From the desk of Batman. (laughs) He's got everything in that utility belt. Yeah. For sure. True. That's true. Toilet paper. It's all there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, shark repellent, right? It's on the other side of the bat belt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right beside the stationery. Yeah. You know, I think you were saying that the the third act shifts into more of the like campy or extreme nature and it just kind of follows suit at this point. You know, by this point in the film, if you're not all in on whatever Burton does with the action, you're not going to follow along anyway. So uh, I I thought it was falling down the rabbit hole of Batman weirdness. Yeah. 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 Couldn't agree more. you know, he, as that's going on, and then the penguins turn their bombs onto the zoo, and of course, uh, Penguin falls into the water. We have the, the moments unfolding with um, Max Shrek and Catwoman. So, Catwoman showed up to the party. Uh, she wants to get revenge against Shrek. And then we have the whole, like, kind of final showdown between, um, you know, there's Bruce Wayne uh, revealing himself, and then Max Shrek and Selena Kyle and the whole like nine lives thing plays out and sort of as we roll up to the end of the film uh Sean what did you think about that sequence with Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne and Max Shrek I I love that because it's one of the few times where you see Batman kind of unmask himself and I I love the part where Shrek's like uh he's like Bruce Wayne why are you dressed like Batman so thick oh, it was hilarious but um that it's such a great scene because she just that whole like she's singing the you know nine lives thing and she gets in there and it's like that intimate kill and she's taking herself out allegedly in the process it's awesome as bruce just kind of stands by helplessly watching it happen it's uh i don't know it's, it's a good kind of a climactic moment and i like the thing at the end where he's searching through the rubble trying to find her and he just sees this hideous like burned shrek sitting there and there's no 
like hint of Selena. So I like the the door kind of open. Burn Shrek kind of reminded me of um, what was his face, Jack Palance or whatever from the first one when he got fried by the yes. Joker. Um, oh, yeah. And and then of course that that being fried, uh, Max Shrek was kind of like the kiss of death move. I felt like when uh, when Selena Kyle does that with the taser, and that was her eighth life, I guess. So she has one more to give. Um, but yeah, that that was cool. That was kind of like Bruce realizing he's. He's kind of like lost her to to that life, and uh, and then it kind of it wraps up in a bow where we have uh, you know Bruce Wayne's driving off with Alfred, and then kind of pauses for a moment because he thinks he sees Catwoman and like her silhouette in an alleyway, kind of looks off in the distance, and then we get the bat signal. Batman will uh, continue to fight crime, and we see that great shot of Catwoman looking at the bat signal as well because you know it's not Gotham without. Uh, you know, a slew of villains, anti-heroes, and vigilantes running around at night. <laughs> um, what did you guys think overall of how this film wrapped up? Uh, Power, I know you said this was your Batman film as a kid, so like, I know we kind of touched on at the beginning of this, like, is it something that holds up? I think in a lot of ways it still does for me, but th- there's obvious flaws, but it, you know, we have to remember it was made in 92. There was like a couple of other comic book films that we're kind of held in the same category at this point. So it, it doesn't have a lot of competition in 92. Uh, so it's still, still quite a classic for me, for Tim Burton. It holds up if you have nostalgia and if you grew up around the time where you didn't get the like four comic book movies a year and this you had to latch on to the ones you got and that's why it holds up. So that's why maybe people like us who grew up with it, you know, we will be fonder of it and see past its flaws, I guess is the way to put it. And so for me, if, if I, when I'm ranking the Batman movies, the Tim Burton ones are always like in the middle. Like I do agree that the Nolan ones and the new one are better, but then then I think the, the Burton ones, just because of nostalgia, fall in right there for for me. And so yeah, I, I liked it. It was a fun rewatch. Um, I think I, I would sum it up as the directing was was really good. The acting was really good. Uh, some of the dialogue is cringy, and the action scenes aren't, aren't that good. And the some of the paper thin sort of plots uh but but overall it's it's a good rewatch especially if you have nostalgia for it and i'm, I'm glad we reviewed it what about, what about you guys adam and sean oh i, I completely agree um you know it's not without reason that lego just released the uh bat wing right or the, the bat plane again um uh, it's the timing is perfect because they're hitting us at the right age. And I think you're exactly right. Uh, powers about the nostalgia factor. Um, even though I get real nitpicky about like characterization and dialogue and stuff, this was still a great rewatch. And I like, and just so happy that I got to watch it and talk about it with you guys. I'm really interested about Sean. You watched it with one of your kids, right? I was yeah. wondering what their take was. Uh, I think he, you know, he did, like you said, it's nostalgia for us now. And he's got, he's, he's spoiled for choice and having all these other things to go to. It's just, he, there were some things he kind of laughed and he, he enjoyed some of the stuff. And for the most part, he's like, ah, it was okay. Um, yeah. I, I love the aesthetic. I think Tim Burton is just Tim Burton. And I like watching his stuff just because it's so visually interesting to look at. Uh, I love watching Catwoman like with her whip, like doing jump rope as she's taking things out and just being uh, chaotic and like the, the penguin funeral scene at the end is so absurd and ridiculous, but it's, (laughs) it just works. Yeah. yeah. I love it. He just rises out of the water and it's like this eldritch core kind of thing. And then he's like, I just need a cold drink of water and he just falls over dead. It's, (laughs) it's just this great sequence. Yeah. It's it's, just, uh, it's, it's definitely, it's a healthy reminder that like back in the nineties, like, we seem to just want to dispense with these villains. Like the hero has to put an end to the villain for good. There can be no hint of the villain surviving or returning. When in fact, like when you consider what we've been talking about, Batman doesn't tend to kill. And we have this kind of impressive rogues gallery in the comics that just keeps coming back over and over. So when you compare this rendition of Penguin to something like what's happening in the Batman, it's like they established a character, but they don't necessarily need a a finality to his arc like they they kind of gave him an arc for the movie the batman but they let him live on to kind of develop as this overarching villain perhaps in in gotham which kind of is a cool idea because in this in this version you know in this film it's like 
it's tragic. You, you you understand why he became the villain, and then there's no attempt to kind of uh, you know repair that. Like it's just a broken system, and he's he falls dead at the end because of it because he kind of he got himself wrapped up in this whole thing. But like not to excuse him by any for any means, but like you know, there's another version of Batman out there that would have tried to like you know lock him up and maybe tried to to reach out to him as a, as a human being as opposed to just a, a monster of the week that needs to be put down at the end of the, <laughs> the end and of the film, right? Villains, which they do a lot these days. You know, they everyone signed on for multi movie deals. And yeah, it just wasn't like that back in the day. Yeah, I liked how uh, Penguin was actually accusing. Like, it's funny he says to him at the end there. He's like, "You're you're just jealous because I'm a genuine freak and you have to wear a mask." And he's like, <laughs> he, "He's like, you may have a point, but at the same time, it's like, what kind of accusation is that? Like, yeah, you're jealous of me because I'm like the, like the billionaire, good looking guy. He's <laughs> jealous of the like grotesque penguin guy. That's yeah. right. But overall, for me, I mean." Th- Tim Burton's Batman was my Batman growing up. I mean, you can see this logo right here, the classic yellow and black. That was my Batman logo, um, you know, throughout my childhood. So uh, I definitely, uh, when I watch this film, it's there's more to enjoy for me from a nostalgic point of view than um, than what's not to like about it. Because uh, obviously you can pick apart any movie that was made in the 80s, 90s. There's going to be problems. But uh, Michael Keaton, I think, crushes it as Bruce Wayne for as little screen time as he gets. And we always kind of have some good performances from the villains throughout these uh, Burton films. So it'll be interesting to see if, as we go through our rewatch on back of my day, you know, if Batman forever and well, Batman and Robin, it seems to be a train wreck. I don't think there's any redemption for that one, but to see if they hold up in the same light that's, that these Burton films have for me personally. But uh, yeah, what did you guys, uh, I know we're kind of wrapping up the, the review yeah, here, but, say, but do you have any Adam final Sandy. thoughts on Burton's Batman and overall? Because yeah, you have, you, got, you didn't get a chance to speak uh, to the original either. So if you wanted to throw some thoughts in uh, of Michael Keaton's Batman overall, oh, I definitely think that Keaton's Batman is for you know not only nostalgia reasons, but one of the Batmans I think of when I think of the character and the franchise itself. Um, you know, movie making was different at the time, and that doesn't take away from the fact that it was a great character with, as we've all said, great direction and a supporting cast that really um, lent itself to a different kind of superhero film um, camp aside or dialogue aside. So yeah, just uh, top, probably top five for me, easy Batman films, uh, including the recent versions. That's pretty high praise. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, as much as I knock the dialogue, yep. Yeah, I, I I have to agree. I still think the first Burton Batman is better than this one, just because of Jack Nicholson's Joker. It's it's just fantastic. It's I agree with you. We because, had you on for the wrong episode. Yeah, no. seriously. No, I agree with that. I just think it's a little bit of a cleaner look. You know, it's it's a it's a straightforward story where there's a lot more going on. This is a sequel, so it's bigger in, in a lot of ways and uh, louder. You know, so it's so there's. It's definitely more of like a linear style to uh, to the original, but and to each his own. Because, like I said, that the original was my Batman film, but then you get someone like Power here, who Batman Returns was his his Batman film growing up. So it's all coming down to perspective at this point. Um, I just I didn't want to let us go here without mentioning again the great score from Danny Elfman because that has just been the staple of Batman sort of theme theme music from the original in 1989 to this film. And then, you know, even including the animated series, which was obviously heavily inspired by, by this score. So uh, that was definitely part of it. Like in the same sense that Gotham feels like a character in the film, like the score definitely feels like a big part of the story as well. It's a great point. Yeah. Hey, I wonder if he played it at Coachella. (laughs) Was he at Coachella? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if you guys know this, but Danny Elfman was at Coachella this year and wow. he played the Simpsons theme song on wow, stage. Wow, that's incredible. Imagine being in that crowd. <laughs> that would have been insane. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. So I think that sort of wraps it up. I think, you know, um, we all have very fond memories of uh, of these Timber Batman movies. And so Adam, Sean, thanks a lot for coming on. I hope you got something out of the rewatch. It was a lot of fun to talk about Batman Returns with you guys. Uh, why don't you tell everyone... Yeah, thank you yeah, so much. Why don't you tell everyone a bit about your podcast and where people can find you on the internet? 
Sure. So Nerds of the Old Republic is a sci-fi and fantasy podcast. We pair uh, media from the nerd fandom with a a signature cocktail and uh, talk about it with uh, the three co-hosts, Sean, uh, myself, and then Mike, who wasn't uh, able to be here tonight. Uh, We're found on all of your podcatchers, wherever you may be. And you can find us on all the socials at Nerds of Old Republic. We'd love to hear book suggestions or uh, talk back with audience after, uh, you know, we release the uh, schedule ahead of time so we can have uh, a great conversation and a community around some nerd culture. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely check out Nerds of the Old Republic. I, I like your guys' podcast. It's great for book ideas and cocktail ideas, two things that we love over here on Back of My Day. So it's perfect. Uh, so again, thanks for coming on. Um, you can find us. Uh, on social media at Day Back In across all the major social media platforms. And the podcast is called Back In My Day. Find it on uh, basically any podcast catcher. And also on Patreon, Back In My Day, uh, or patreon.com slash Back In My Day, where we're reviewing the uh, weekly Moon Knight episodes as they drop. So check those out.